Two TV Sports Tosh and Jerry podcast is back. NFL Week Seven. Talk about that. It's a fun week. Uh, look ahead to next week, Week Eight. College football is rolling along here. Uh, got some little upset. Penn State upset. Um, talk about some next week's games too, and the, the college football playoff watch. We'll bring that to you guys. And lastly, um, the World Series. Man, I have no idea. Uh, why they pulled Snell from that game. Kevin Cash, that was the worst decision I've ever seen. Um, and of course, our lock and upset of the week at the end. But uh, Jerry, let's get to this first. MLB World Series, Dodgers take it away. Like, why pull Kevin Cash there, man? Why, I don't understand it. So yeah, Snell gets pulled by Cash early, and he gets ripped by everybody in the MLB. And I was also one of those people at first that said that. But two things that I want to throw out here. Pedro Martinez, one of the most dominant pitchers we've ever seen in our lifetime, got pulled too late by Grady Little, was left in the game too long, and blew that game in 2003. So we are playing the result a little bit here. And then the other thing is he was going to be facing the heart of the lineup for the third time, and we know that it's a lot harder to get those Ks that he was getting uh, you know, the third time through the lineup. But that being said, he was dealing at that point. I do disagree with taking him out. Uh, you got to go with like what you're seeing, not what the analytics are telling you there. Like, how are you pulling a guy that just gave up a second hit? Um, I think you definitely leave him in, but uh, I think most people are playing the result on this one. Yeah, well, dude, Jerry, with, with baseball, like, there's all this talk about the analytics and all this, but, I mean, the an- while the analytics do say it's favorable to pull someone the third time through the order, the analytics aren't taking in effect that Snell only had 73 pitches. So he wasn't really that tired. Um, he had struck out Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Justin Turner, the top three hitters six times. He struck him out every time in that, that he faced him in that game. Um, and then also Nick Anderson, the guy they brought in while he was dominant in the regular season, 0.55 ERA in the regular season, Jerry, um, in the playoffs, let me read you his last few appearances. Um, 10-24, so that must have been game uh, four, gave up a run. Game two, he gave up a run. Against the Astros, gave up two runs in his last appearance. So he's given up a run in his last seven appearances. Like, he's not the guy to bring in there. If you're going to bring someone in, it's got to be Castillo. Like you've got or Fairbanks. You could bring him in too in that situation. Yeah, and exactly. you got to bring in either Castillo or Fairbanks if you're bringing someone in. Like Anderson hasn't been throwing well. Snell was throwing amazing. And just as a baseball player, like when the starting pitcher who's been dealing, who you, the whole team knows that they can't hit, gets taken out of the game, it's just such like an uplifting factor that I mean I just knew that that game was not going to end well once they pulled Snell and put in Anderson and like that's just a World Series but this but this one is the this is the race strategy right I mean if you look at their entire season uh they didn't have Snell pitch past the seventh inning in any game and so like this is just how their management upper upper management decided to go about this and you can make the argument that that's how they got to the World Series was by following this and limiting their guys and you know, pulling yeah. their starters early and saving those arms. Um, uh, one thing quick, though, I forgot to mention at the top, I absolutely nailed the pick. I called Dodgers in six. They won it in six. So uh, shout out to me on that one, Tosh. Yeah, I actually thought about that when the game ended. But uh, it, 
I mean, I had the Rays in seven, and I would have really liked that pick if Kevin Cash had left Blake Snell in the game. The Rays had won that game, and then they had Charlie Morton going in game seven. So we all got robbed of a game seven. Thanks. Sure, to but hold Cash. on. There might not there might not have been a game seven. I, I like that you brought that up because Turner <laughs> tested positive for COVID. If we want to you know, chat about that real quick. So I think yeah. baseball was actually saved some some embarrassment there. And I, like, do you just end the World Series at three three? Then in the tie, like, what the hell do you do? Do you like call it off and quarantine on both teams for two weeks and come back for one game? Like, winner takes all. It'd be insane. Yeah, I was actually talking to a uh, peeper about that. Um, peeper who does our Instagram and social media and all that. Um, and we were talking about like what would have happened if Turner tested positive. Like, I think they would have had to at least put the series on hold for a few days, get everyone tested. Turner would have been out like that. And then it would have just been a game, one game, like every picture can throw. Like it would, it would have been the, probably the craziest baseball game in history, like leading up to it. Like it would have been all hands on deck. Um, that would have been really interesting. And yeah, I, Justin Turner, like, <laughs> I guess, I mean, I kind of feel bad for them, but then I don't feel bad for him. Cause like, he needs to not be on the field as he has COVID, like without a mask. But like, yeah, you can't be doing that, especially when you know you tested positive. Like, bro, first off, you cannot be on the field. But if, like, at the very least, if you're on the field, like, put on the fucking mask. Like, I just don't understand. Like, I get that you want to celebrate with your boys. You just won the chip. Like, that's the pinnacle of the sport. And like, you're Justin Turner. Uh, but you can't. You just can't be doing that. Yeah, and like, it was. His first test came back inconclusive, and then his second test came back positive. So, I mean, it's not just like a – like, it seems like it might actually be legit and not a, a false positive like some of these other tests. But, um, but yeah, the Dodgers won. Like, I give them credit, but I still just – I mean, I still don't think that this one World Series has, like – justified all the other chokes that they've had like this no dude it does well it doesn't justify kershaw at all like his his blunders in the past i mean the astros one you could argue like has a major asterisk but it doesn't necessarily mean that the dodgers would have won that anyways you know kershaw had a bunch of blow-ups in that series whether the pitch they knew the pitch was coming or not um but yeah it does it definitely does not absolve them of like past past blow-ups as you're saying yeah, and I saw um, Corey Seager said that Kershaw's like the best picture in history of baseball. Like, get out of here, Corey Seager. Like, going five and a third, two runs in game five of the World Series is all right, but like, that doesn't just justify his entire collapse, all of his collapses in the playoffs. Like, that, I don't buy that. But um, congrats to the Dodgers, their fans. Like, LA sports is booming. We hate to see it, but. Uh, Hopefully uh, the Rams and Chargers. I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I don't. I don't see the Rams pulling this one off. But uh, last thing on the MLB, Tony Larusa has been out of baseball for nine years. I personally remember him as the Cardinals manager, uh, an all-time manager. Just got hired by the White Sox. I guess he liked that opening. I'm a big fan of the hire. I think the White Sox are on a, are on the on the bridge of like uh, becoming one of those like really formidable teams. Um, and Larusa is a, a great hire. So. Good for them, I suppose. I don't really like this hire, to be honest, Jerry. Like, the dude's in his 70s. He's, I thought he was kind of old when he was uh, the president or whatever, the Diamondbacks, making, like, old-school baseball decisions. Doesn't know how to involve sabermetrics in his um, 
in his like process. Yeah, Larus is going all on feel. He's not. He's not going to be a big analytics guy for the White it, Sox. And the analytics are big too, not just with the pitching changes and who to play and all that, but involving them like in your swing and involving it in pitch selection and how pitchers throw. Like the analytics is huge on player development, and the White Sox have a ton of like, young players. So uh, we'll see who he adds to his staff, but uh, not the biggest fan of that uh, hire. All right, I see. I see your point there. Um, we'll see how it plays out. I think uh, next season will be interesting. Last thing on baseball is I want to say they did a pretty good job despite a couple of you know COVID infections with no bubble. Um, they made the baseball season interesting. Like all their rule changes in the shortened season kept me excited about it. And even the playoffs, like we got the right champion at the end. The Dodgers with the highest payroll, and you know of course Mookie Betts. Um, so I kind of have to tip my cap to baseball, even though. Rob Manfred tried to do everything wrong along the way. So fun yeah, to see. This was a great baseball season. I mean, I think more people were following this than most seasons. Like it was a sprint. It was great. The rule changes were great. The only rule change I don't really like is the uh, three batter minimum for the pitchers. Like it just, if a guy obviously doesn't have his stuff, it just sucks watching like, like because of some arbitrary rule he has to face like two more guys and it's just i don't think that's like it's like in the nba like you put in a guy for a minute he misses three shots and he's your 12th man like you take him out so like i don't think the three batter minimum should stay but i really like the rest of the rules um looking forward to the to the baseball season next year and the off season guys don't sleep on the baseball off season and uh two tv sports is going to be covering that Stay tuned, and uh, we're going to bring you a little baseball offseason preview. Um, so stay tuned for that. And now let's move over to NFL Week 7, Jerry. Um, bunch of good games. I thought the Steelers-Titans was probably the most, um, you know, the most impactful game of the week. Just two really good teams. AFC powerhouses, it looks like, this year. Both undefeated coming into the game. Uh, the Steelers won because of a last-second miss. Guskowski kick. Um, we both kind of like the Steelers coming into this game, and uh, and they won. So, Jerry, I, I guess, like, how good do you think the Steelers are? So, on the last pod before you know we went into this game, uh, they're both undefeated. And I said, look out for Big Ben on the road. He's not the same quarterback as at home. And so he threw three picks. Looked pretty me- mediocre in that game. Um, and, and it was mostly because of the Titans defense is pretty good at just like the Steelers defense. And so these teams almost mirror each other in a way. I mean, the Steelers have a little bit more offensive firepower, but you know, Derrick Henry and the running of the Titans just can't be matched. And so it kind of came down to a missed field goal by Goskowski that would have sent the game to overtime and maybe the Steelers still win. Maybe they don't. Um, this game was tight and you know, a couple plays go different ways. It might have ended differently, but I think we found out a lot, Tosh, about the Titans, and this is what we learned despite them losing. They got down big early in this game, and they could have folded, but we learned that Ryan Tannehill is not going to roll over. He might not be the cream of the crop at quarterback. This man has a hell of a fight in him to bring this team back from, like, what, 20 down they were? Um, and so for them to tie it up and then end up losing on a field goal is not ideal, but, I, you know, the Titans are going to be a really, really tough out going forwards. Um, Jerry, I have a, I kind of have a different take about this game. Like, I think the Steelers and Titans aren't very similar teams. The Steelers defense, I think is top three in the NFL and their offense is what's going to get them in trouble. And you kind of saw that in this game, I think, because 
the Steelers got up big and then they couldn't really do anything on offense. Um, their defense was slowing down the Titans for most of the game. And then a few big plays to AJ Brown. Um, and I think the Titans offense is actually pretty explosive. Tannehill's like a good quarterback, top 10 quarterback. Um, but the problem is they like playing with the lead. Like if they get behind the play action doesn't work because then like, you know, they're not going to run it as much with Henry. Like they're going to have to be throwing when they're down 20. And, and I think that Tannehill in, in the connection that he has with Brown, um, David, Corey Davis, uh, Johnny Smith, Adam Humphreys. I think though, I think like the Tennessee offense has firepower. It's just, I don't think their defense is good enough to um, really keep them in like, the, you know, the top of the AFC, like, you know, one, two top teams in the AFC. Um, sure. It, well, so, it, so my top three right now is like Chiefs, Steelers and Ravens. So like I have the Titans, they're like, they're like tipping that upper echelon, but yeah, that defense worries me a little bit too. Yeah. And I think that's what you got to have is your top three right now. Um, and the Steelers, I guess we could, let's talk about this now, the Steelers Ravens game next week. Like that is a, such a big game. Um, Lamar against a good defense, like Pittsburgh against, you know, their division rivals. It's, it's in Baltimore. Baltimore's coming off a bye week. Um, I think Pittsburgh's the better team, but um, I, I, I don't know. The, the circumstances are kind of better for Baltimore coming off the bye at home. Um, I kind of like Pittsburgh in this game, though, and, and um, you'll see later. This might be one of my picks of the week. So first thing is for Pittsburgh, that I didn't mention yet is I don't really know where Juju's been. We know that when they had Antonio Brown and, and Juju, like Antonio got covered and Juju was wide open. So maybe it's just the receiver one gets draped with coverage in Pittsburgh. And then big Ben just loves that number two guy. Um, and we've seen that over the years. So maybe, maybe that's, maybe it's more of a coverage thing with them. But as far as the Steelers Ravens, this rivalry is back. I'm so excited about this one as neutral football fan of both these teams. Although I kind of hate the Ravens as a Pats fan and respect the Steelers for whatever reason. Um, even though, you know, we beat them every single time. I want to mention that um, during the Brady era. So this game, I saw that Baltimore was favored coming off the bye, but they didn't look good before the bye. I'm not really sure why Baltimore's favored after, you know, the Steelers did just beat one of the top teams in the Titans. Um, this series, I could not tell you who's going to win, you know, the first matchup this season, but I very fully expect them to split this series. So mark my words, whoever wins this game, the next game, it's going the other way. Uh, and we can overreact on both those games about who's, you know, the better team and going to the Super Bowl right after. Yeah. I, I, I just think the Ravens are a little overrated. Like, they haven't beaten anyone good. Um, and, and one thing about Juju and this whole Pittsburgh receiving core, which I think could be a big factor in this game, is uh, their number one receiver, while he doesn't get as much buzz as Juju and Chase Claypool, is actually Deontay Johnson, who in the uh, three games he's been healthy has caught six passes, eight, uh, eight passes, and then nine passes and has three touchdowns. Um, he's probably going to be out for this game. That might be troublesome for the Steelers. Um, but I still kind of like the Steelers in this game. Um, yeah, we'll get to the, we'll get to the Pats lack of wide receivers soon, but I mean, these Steelers wide receivers, it's like every year, whoever they draft, whoever they put out there is an absolute stud. Uh, so, uh, you know, Big Ben has a lot of guys to, to throw to, even without Deontay out there. So, yeah, this, this, this rivalry's back. Really excited about it. It's the game of the week, number two versus number four in the TV, top 25. Um, so that's pretty exciting. But, Tosh, Sunday Night Football was an absolutely electric game. 
the Seahawks and the Cardinals, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, two of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the league. I mean, I know that the Cardinals beat the Seahawks, who I have going to the Super Bowl. They're my pick. I'm always high on them. You're telling me I'm way too high on them every single week. But, I mean, if there's a not that holding penalty called, uh, DK goes for that touchdown, and the Seahawks win this game. So I'm not that worried about the Seahawks, despite their defense giving up 300-plus and three touchdowns to Kyler. Yeah, I would say with the Seahawks, I just think every game is like, it's going to be a close game. Um, and it's just going to come down to, you know, do they get the breaks at the end of the game? Do they win the coin toss? Does Wilson throw a pick? Um, and so I don't think that that's worthy of being like one of the top teams in the NFC. Um, in this game, yeah, it was crazy. Wilson threw three picks, like two of them were really bad. Um, Murray looked. Yeah, there good. was one that he floated up to the right side that was like, "What the hell are you doing, Russ?" It was very unRuss like. But the Seahawks, as we know, go into Arizona every year and somehow come out with a loss, even when uh, the Cardinals have. Uh, who's that guy that started? Uh, started that one playoff game through for like eighty yards. He was terrible, and then the Seahawks ended up losing that season. So uh, yeah, I'm not putting too much stock in uh, the Seahawks taking an L, you know, midway through the season uh, against the division rival. Yeah, it's not a terrible loss, but I just these problems with the Seahawks are just they've they've been apparent in every game, and um, and yeah, we'll see like how good they really are this week. I think against San Francisco at home, um, that's a big game for that division. San Francisco's four and three. Seattle uh, has the lead in the division right now, and so I think like this game is really going to decide where the kind of the favorites go from here. And, and if San Francisco can win, it's really showing me that they're like a serious contender still and their injuries haven't hampered them that much. But um, I do kind of like Seattle at, at home in this game. Yeah. So San Fran at Seattle, San Fran's coming off of the, I would not call it a big win anymore. Seeing as they beat the Patriots 33 to six. I had the Patriots as my lock of the week last week thinking they're not going to lose two at home. Um, my team is in shambles, man. Edelman's going to have knee surgery. He's our leading receiver with just like 300 yards through these games, and that's nothing. Cam looks terrible. We have no line. Uh, the defense looks atrocious. Gilmore doesn't look like anything that he was last year, the player of the year on defense. Uh, the reports came out this week. They've been looking to trade him, which honestly, that's awesome. Like, blow up the team. Let's get some picks. Let's, let's, let's revamp this thing. It's too late to tr- tank for Trevor, so I don't care about that. But we need we need a ton of help. This season is not our season. Uh, the San Francisco win and Jimmy G, not impressive to- against the Pats, okay? The Seattle loss, not a big deal. In my mind, I have expected Seattle to have no trouble with the Niners uh, this upcoming week. So I'm looking for, for Seattle to get back on track against, against their old foes here. Uh, yeah, that's interesting because... The spread is only three in favor of Seattle, and um, sounds like we both think Seattle's the better team in, in this game. Coming off a loss, uh, is Seattle really going to lose twice here? Um, and, and one thing with San Francisco, too, is Steve Samuel's out, where he most starts out, uh, along with all those other injuries. Like, it's going to be tough for them to win. It's going to need to be a big George Kittle day. Yeah, they're they're super banged up. Uh, but if you want to go to another injury real quick, last week, OBJ goes down on the first play from Baker. It's an interception, tears his ACL. Um, and then Baker looks awesome without OBJ. He's throwing it to Peoples-Jones, Higgins, just throwing the ball all over the yard. I'm in the camp 
that the Browns are not better without OBJ. Um, I don't know what Baker's, you know, deal is with maybe having to target OBJ, but from everything I've heard, like whenever Odell's out there, he just wants to win. Like he's not asking for the ball from Baker. He's not being a diva receiver. He just wants what's best for the team. And the Browns are relevant. Like they only had two losses. Um, I know they were about to lose to Joe Burrow there, but they didn't. And now, you know, they are looking for that playoff push. But I don't think the Browns are better without their best wide receiver. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm not fully bought in on those people who are saying they're better without Odell. Um, they're going to involve Landry more, I guess, probably a little bit more in Joku and and, um, and Higgins and all those other dudes that you're talking about. But um, the Browns, to me, are just one of those teams that are going to beat bad teams when they can run the ball and their line just dominates and they get up early and Miles Garrett can pass rush. Uh, if Baker needs to do anything, like they're in major trouble, as it was shown against Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Um, this week versus the Raiders is going to be interesting um, to see, like how um, how they look against a team that I think is you know about about the same as that they are in terms of uh, how you know how good they are. Um, and and then one one more week or one more game this week that I'm very interested in is Jerry. Are the Pats going to show any signs of life at Buffalo? I know you, Jackson, uh, author of the Tuesday Morning Blitz, pretty much every Pats fan on this planet has been so low on Buffalo all season. And while they're not great, you know, they know Kansas City, they're, they're leading the division, and, and this is the Pats' chance to show that they can still compete in the, in the, NFC, in the AFC uh, East. Uh, do you think the Pats are going to put up a fight here? Dude, this is really, really do or die for our season. Um, two weeks ago, after the Chiefs game, I was really excited about the Pats' prospect with Cam coming back. Um, and, you know, Buffalo not running away with this division, not being the best team, just, you know, shitting all over Buffalo. I still don't think Buffalo is that good, like you just mentioned. Um, but this Pats team just showed that we've got nobody. Like, Edelman's going to be out with a knee procedure. So we're throwing in Nikhil Harry who at this point is a bust. Like, there are dudes putting up more numbers in one game from his draft class than he puts up all season. Like, it's absolutely a joke. Um, the only, like, salvageable dude from our offense right now is Damian Harris, who is taking over the job from Sony Michelle, who's also a bust at RB. Um, and so I don't expect good things against Buffalo. But if there's going to be a game that Belichick schemes correctly uh and to show like that he's still a great coach and we know he's still a great coach but like to show like where his greatness comes through is against josh allen so i think this game despite the pats being you know so decimated and absolutely looking terrible this season are gonna put up a pretty good fight against the bills and see what see what they can give before trading away every piece before the deadline yeah i i like that take out of you jerry i think Bill is going to bring out all the stops. This is going to be the Cam Newton looking like Lamar Jackson game. He's going to get 15 to 20 carries. Uh, Damian Harris is going to be heavily involved. They're going to throw the ball like less than 10 times in this game is my prediction. Um, Just run the ball down their throat. I'm good with them. And if we beat the Bills that way, I will take it. I think that's the only chance. And I think early this season, like you saw the first game, what was that against the Dolphins? I think Cam was running a lot. And uh, I think Belichick like was like, "Oh crap, this guy's actually pretty good. I need to try to save him 
and not just get him beat up all game. And then that hasn't really worked as well. And they're going to just do the full on like Lamar Jackson cams running through the tackles. Um, just up the middle using his big body Harris, the option, like that's the chance that the Pats have the win. I think it's going to be closer uh, than many people think. Like I don't write the Pats off, but Buffalo just has a like, they just have a better team at the end of the day, the bills are a better team. And I think they're going to get the win at home. Uh, we'll see on that big week coming up in the NFL. Uh, before we get to our lock and upset of the week, college football, Jerry, Big Ten started. Um, Pac-12 is starting soon. It's like it's beginning to look like a college football season. Uh, wanted to get your take. I don't know if you saw that Friday night. Jack Cohn, the starting quarterback for Wisconsin, is out due to a foot injury, and they brought in Graham Mertz, highly touted recruit. Um, and this kid was insane. I think he threw one incomplete pass, like five touchdowns flinging the ball all over the field. He was running it, too. He looks like the best QB Wisconsin's had since Russell Wilson. And uh, and Graham Mertz now has COVID, so he's going to be out three weeks. But uh, I thought that was an interesting development in the Big Ten. Yeah, so Wisconsin comes into this season having high expectations, as they usually do before losing a big game. Uh, but the first game, they look to actually be living up to those expectations. But like you just mentioned, their quarterback Mertz has – COVID now and is out three weeks. So I don't know what the hell you do with that program. I couldn't tell you who's next. Um, and we know that they're going to face some stiff competition uh, as the season goes on. As we know, I, I think we both like Ohio State in this division. Penn State, which we're going to talk about in a second, you know, isn't living up to what they were supposed to be this season. So they're not looking to be that big of a threat. Um, and so I think Wisconsin this season is kind of screwed. Like they have a lot of talent. They'll probably make a good bowl game, but that, that COVID diagnosis along with their or the Big Ten is, is pretty tough for them. Yeah, and so what's actually kind of interesting about this one is that um, I think they, they played Nebraska this week and it got canceled because of COVID. And then I forget who they play the week after, but someone not very good. But then the week after that, they play at Michigan. And that would be the last great game Graham Mertz couldn't play because of COVID. In the Big Ten, you have to sit out three weeks no matter what if you get COVID, even if your tests come back negative. So now even if this kid doesn't have COVID, he's going to be have to miss the game at Michigan. Um, and Michigan looked good as well. They have a good new quarterback, uh, Joe Milton. I don't know if you saw that game, but he looked like that off. He, you know, he transformed that offense. Shea Patterson has been garbage the last few years. Uh, threw for 225, ran for 52, two touchdowns at Minnesota. Um, I kind of liked Minnesota going into that game, but I didn't know about this Milton kid who – Looks like Michigan has a shot this year, Jerry. We'll see, but I mean, we know that quarterback play, especially in college football, is inconsistent. And Michigan's schedule is a gauntlet, dude. I'm looking at it. It's Indiana, Wisconsin, Penn State. Uh, Maryland might be a little easier of a game. And then, you know, the big game against Ohio State. So they're playing a bunch of top 25 ranked teams. It's not going to be easy for Michigan. There's no way they come through that Big Ten, uh, big Ten schedule unscathed. Like, that. I just don't see it. Yeah, it's a tough schedule. Um. Let's talk about Penn State for a second here. Was playing at Indiana. Indiana's actually a pretty good football team. Um, and, and I think it was getting underrated going into this year. Last year, they had, I think they had eight wins. They were in the Big Ten, which is really good. Um, and so Penn State barely lost. So, that I mean, that's a huge loss, obviously. But I wouldn't 
just quite uh, right off Penn State yet. And this week they're playing. Dude, at- leave it. Okay, but hold on. Leave it to Penn State to blow the game right before the game with Ohio State. Like that was going to be a top 10 matchup and we were going to get treated to a lovely, you know, early uh, midseason college football top 10, you know, losers out of the playoff race uh, pretty early. And now Penn State drops all the way to 18 and Ohio State's third. And it's like, okay, that's our game of the week now. Like, come on, Penn State. I get Indiana has a competent team, but you do this every year. You're doing the look-ahead game. Uh, unless you have that big whiteout at home with the fans riled up, the night game, Herbie on the call. Like, they just blow it, dude. Yeah. It's classic Penn State. They do this every year. And I don't know why, like, year after year, we expect any different from them. Like, they have a decent team, and they can never figure it out. They lose the game they shouldn't lose unless it's at home. Uh, just they don't get the job done. Yep, that's uh, that's what Penn State does, and and uh, you know Indiana isn't bad though. That's what I was. That's kind of my take on that. In that Ohio State uh, at Penn State this week is going to be fun to watch. Like, does Penn State stand a chance to beat Ohio State? Probably not. But the fact that it's in at Penn State, um, they're going to be you know ready to go after that, after that loss. Probably were you know, going hard in practice this week, like would not shock me if this game was a little bit closer than, than many people expect. But I mean, you got to like Ohio state. Yeah. And the words of Lee Corso, where's Brutus? Give me the Buckeye. I'll take the Buckeye. <laughs> so that'll be a good one. If he, when he finally puts Brutus back on, if that's where game day actually is, uh, Tosh, I want to get to Texas, Oklahoma state, but also preview with you. We always talk about, you know, coming down in the living room and who, is actually going to make the playoffs. Like, who are the best four teams? We both think Bama and Clemson are going to make it. So let's not talk about that. What I wanted to bring up, Tosh, is Oklahoma State. Do you think they have a shot to make it? Because I looked at their schedule, and they play Texas this week, and then the other, the only other hard game is Oklahoma. Uh, but the problem with the Big 12 is, like, there's no defense. So I don't know. They, could, they might have a shot. i got to watch a little more of them before I'm convinced. Yeah, so, I mean, like you said, Bama and Clemson are going to get in. Oklahoma State's currently ranked six behind Notre Dame and Georgia. I think that, you know, I think Oklahoma is going to be a tough game for them on the road, especially after they play Kansas State, who's been decent this year on the road in Texas this week um, at TCU, too. I think they'll lose once or twice. There's also the Big 12 championship game um, where they have to play another good team. So, you know, I think they're good. They, I don't think they're playoff. Um, you know, contenders, to be honest. And if they get to the playoff, they're going to get absolutely smoked by Alabama or Clemson um, in that first game. Like, absolutely just ran through, you know, the 60 to to 20 or something like that. Um, yeah, the no defense is going to hurt them, especially against Bama and Clemson's offense, for sure. Yeah. Um, Two more teams on the playoff watch, Jerry. You've got number three-ranked Notre Dame. They still have to play Clemson. Um, that game is at home and then at number 15 UNC in a potential ACC championship game. They're undefeated. I think they got to win of those three games. They got to win two of them. Um, do you give them any chance to do that? Uh, no, here's why. So the first game they have is Clemson. I think Clemson beats Notre Dame. Like we know that Trevor Lawrence and Dabo getting that team get up for the big games. I don't see Notre Dame beating them there. I think Notre Dame does beat UNC and proves that, you know, they're so relevant. They're going to have one loss. And then guess what? Oh, look at that. They run into Clemson, the ACC championship game again. And do they upset Clemson? No, they don't, Tosh, because they're Notre Dame. Like, there's no way. I don't see that happening. So 
at the end of the day, like Notre Dame is have a good team, but they'll have two losses to Clemson. I see them being out of the college football playoff. Georgia, on the other hand, is a different story. They do this thing every year where they lose or they either go undefeated in the regular season and, or they lose one game and get to the championship game against Alabama. Then they do this thing where they get out ahead in the first half of the of the SEC championship game and then blow the lead in the second half. Kirby Smart is throwing his headset on the sideline. It's great to see every single year. Um, and it's usually a close loss to Bama, like a touchdown or less. Um, and then we see Georgia end up being the five seed out of the playoffs. So I was a little bit high on Florida a little too early in the season. They've crashed back down to earth, fallen down to 10. So they're still a pretty good team. Um, Georgia, I think, can get by Florida this season. And I haven't seen anything from Georgia that they can't. So I expect them to play Bama in the SEC championship game. Um, but the fact that they would be losing to Bama right before the last play-in uh, makes me think that the committee, once again this year, will keep Kirby Smart's Georgia team out of the college football playoffs. Yeah, I'd agree on both of those teams. Uh, Notre Dame's not going to beat Clemson. they got to beat Clemson at least once to get in. And uh, Georgia's got to beat Bama in that championship game. If they don't, they're not going to get in. And so, yeah, for our playoff locks, Gary, let's. Uh, are we are we cool with writing off Notre Dame and Georgia from the playoff locks for third further weeks? So, if we're doing the write off thing, I think that you have to leave Georgia in it because there is a chance that you know Kirby Smart finally figures it out against Saban. Notre Dame, I'm cool with writing off. Um, and so, this means Tosh, we technically have two spots open. We have Bama and Clemson is locked in the playoffs. So. If you're ready, I want to share what I think is going to be the last two couple of spots that get in. Yeah, uh, go the for third it. seed. So the third seed that I have is Ohio State making it uh, out of the Big Ten. I think Ryan Day ha- still has their Urban Meyer recruits, whether he's a good recruiter or not. And that team with Justin Fields is going to be fine in that conference. Uh, I don't see Michigan upsetting them this year with uh, Harbaugh, as we talked about on the previous pod. Go check that out. So Ohio State gets that third seed. The fourth seed, Tosh, I was really thinking about this, and it's a little bit more tricky. Uh, if Oklahoma State runs the table, which I think they could do in their conference, like they don't play anybody that hard. I mean, maybe Oklahoma upsets them. Could happen, you know, a, a little rivalry between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. And obviously they don't get in. So I think it's between Oklahoma State and the winner of the Pac-12, which is going to be USC or our Oregon Ducks. So if Oklahoma State wins it, I think they had a longer season, maybe a little bit played tougher schedule. Um, and you know, they haven't had any glaring errors really. So I think you have to give it to Oklahoma state as crazy as that sounds over the pac 12 with the limited season. But if Oklahoma state loses in that championship game, uh, I think the winner of the pac 12 gets in be that USC from the South or our ducks from the North. So hopefully go ducks. Hopefully Tyler Shaw's our guy. See what happens in the season. Yeah. I, I somewhat agree with you. Um, so I, I do think Ohio state gets in. And then I think that last spot is going to be between um, a few teams. Oklahoma State, as you said, if they run the table, they're in. If they lose one game, that's huge for Texas A&M, actually, who people are sleeping on. Texas A&M, Jerry, has one loss this year. Um, it was to Alabama, at Alabama. They beat Florida. Um, they just won at Mississippi State. They don't play another ranked team all year. The toughest game they have is probably either at Auburn or at Tennessee, who are both unranked. Because they're in Bama's side of the SEC, they won't have to play in the SEC championship game. They're going to be a one-loss team whose only loss is to Bama. Um, If the Pac-12 has a one-loss team, if the Big 12 has a one-loss team, if Notre Dame is one loss, 
Um, I think Texas A&M gets in over all those teams because their only loss will be the, probably the number one ranked team in Bama on the road. Um, but if they somehow trip up, yeah, it's looking like the Pac-12 might have a shot this year. Actually, Tosh, I really like that take out of you. I, I'm one of those people that was snoozing on A&M, but basically what you just said, yeah. If Oklahoma State loses and it's a one-loss Pac-12 champion versus just the team that lost to Bama and Bama's conference, yeah, man, A&M uh, could sneak in. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I'm going to have to watch that. Yeah, a team that's lost to Bama uh, week two and then would have gone on a nine-game winning streak in the SEC, I think that they get in. Um, but, I mean, that would kind of suck as Duck fans, but we'll see. Um, but now, Jerry... Before we get started here on our picks, go to 2tvsports.com and check out our, our latest articles and takes and hit that subscribe button if you haven't yet. Um, and to get to our picks, I'll start us off first. Had a good week last week, 2 of 2, back on track, 8 of 13 overall. Um, and my lock of the week, Jerry, I'm going to take the Seattle Seahawks, minus 3, it's even money, I like that. Um, not a huge fan of the three. Seattle does play in close games, but the Niners, I mean, I'm just not fully bought in on all the buzz about the Niners being legit again, again, with all the injuries this week, even Debo Samuel's out, like Jimmy G is going to be throwing to Kendrick Bourne and, and Brandon Ayuk, who are solid, but not great. I mean, obviously they've got Kittle, but they no shirts out. Weapons are, weapons are reduced. Their defense hasn't really been tested in a few weeks since uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick put up 37 on them at home. Seahawks aren't going to lose two in a row. They're playing at home. The Niners just had a uh, you know long road trip to New England and coming back now up to Seattle. Seahawks are favored by three. I think the Seahawks will win this game by a touchdown. Dude, love it. Love it. You're taking my Super Bowl pick to win a game? Like, I love it. And you know, I know you have them covering the three. Great news, Tosh. I actually saw the line move to two and a half, so you can get even better value on this one, man. Like, that's great. Uh, yeah, I love everything you said there. Like, I don't see the Niners winning this one up in Seattle. Like, Seattle's coming off the loss. I don't see them losing two back-to-back. Um, and the Niners basically are down to, like, what, their third or fourth string running back. Um, so that's not looking good. Tosh, my lock of the week. Another team coming off of a loss. I got the Tennessee Titans over the Cincinnati Bengals this week. Now, I liked what Joe Burrow has done on offense, and I actually had them as my upset of the week last week, which looked great against the Browns until, you know, Baker threw that great pass on the right-hand sideline, but I digress. Um, this Their Bengals defense can't stop anyone, man. The run game, the pass game, I mean, yeah, I just don't see it this week for them. Derrick Henry is going to have a monster day against this Bengals defense. Uh, good luck trying to stop him and bring him down. Ryan Tannehill, I think. Has developed a great chemistry with AJ Brown and Corey Davis, and even John Smith that you mentioned earlier in the pod. Uh, I like I like the Titans. You know they don't have to cover the spread. Just you know beat the Bengals here, no problem, no issue here. Yeah, I like that pick out of you. Titans aren't going to lose two in a row, especially to the Bengals. And uh, another pick I like in that game, actually, I was thinking about taking it as my lock is the uh, over in that game. I think that'll be a pretty high scoring game. Both defenses aren't great, and. Uh, both offenses can move the ball. So I like I like you picking that game. Um, now for my upset of the week. Last week I hit on my upset with the Lions of all teams. Thank shout out to Todd Gurley for not uh going down and before he got to the end zone and giving Matt Stafford a chance to come back. This week, I'm rolling with the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers going on the road to Baltimore. They're plus one sixty five. 
Um, you know, I think this is this is a this, anyone could win this game. The Steelers, I like them as the better team in this game. Uh, I think they're playing well. I'm worried a little about Deontay Johnson being out, but Lamar against good defenses, we've seen how that's worked. It uh, hasn't worked at all. So uh, Steelers, I like them. Uh, plus 165, they're getting, I think, three and a half points. I'm going to take the money line as my upset of the week. So I like that just for the value of that. Plus 160 against their division rival. And like I was saying earlier, this se- the series when both teams are good or bad usually goes one and one. Um, and so that means the Steelers are going to win one at some point. And, you know, this is the first game. And if they go 50%, I love the odds there. So I'm okay with that one. I, you know, I don't hate that. My upset of the week, Tosh. I didn't understand this game that I'm picking now, why the line was what it was. I'm taking the Oakland Raiders to upset the Cleveland Browns. Does that sound weird to you too? I know. I don't know why the Browns are favored. I know that, you know, they have been a pretty good team, but they just lost OBJ and we discussed how I think they're going to be worse without him. Uh, they still don't have Nick Chubb, even though, you know, Fremont is a very, very good backup. Um, but I think the biggest factor here is the Raiders were actually able to practice, Tosh. Their offensive line actually has some practice. Henry Ruggs is healthy now. Aaron Waller's still there. Um, their defense isn't great, but I mean, I don't think you have to have a great defense against Baker Mayfield. We just saw them go up against the Bengals and almost lose that game. We just talked about how the Bengals don't have a great defense. So I have Derek Carr beating uh, the Cleveland Browns here, and the Raiders uh, looking to secure a playoff spot. I, I like this one a lot this week. Yeah. So at first, I, I kind of like the Browns in this game. Um, but the more I think about it, you know, the Raiders have the better quarterback. Uh, no Odell for the Browns. No Chubb for the Browns. Um, and I think John Gruden's a pretty good coach. I mean, the one thing that worries me is the Raider defense. Like, it, when the Browns have been able to move the ball well, they've really been able to move the ball. And I like Kevin sure, Fancy. Sure. So I think this might be another high-scoring game. But uh, there's no reason why the, the Browns should be favored against the Raiders. So I, I like the value there. Sure. Uh, I and not to mention Josh Jacobs, too, who was running behind the offensive line who couldn't practice last week. So I really like what he's going to potentially be able to do against this Browns D as well. Yeah, and I think Tampa Bay is is actually, like, a really good team right now. And, and the Raiders kept that close for a little. Um, and so I don't think, like, losing to Tampa Bay is, is you know, bad at all. It really shows how uh, you're playing. Tampa Bay is just running on all cylinders right now. They're playing good football. Um, so I like that pick out of you, and, and hopefully we can we can hit on all these this week and go four for four. Yeah, man, that'll be good. Uh, you know, check out more at 2TV Sports, Tosh. I'm looking forward to the baseball offseason, a little NBA draft preview. And, guys, we're two weeks away from the Masters. We're teeing off very, very soon. Can't wait to see Augusta National in November. Praying the weather stays good in Georgia. You know, rain holds off. So excited for this one. Yeah, no, that it's we've got a bunch of good sports coming up. We've all been seeing those Masters commercials. I mean, does it get any better than uh, watching the Master, Masters commercial on a football Sunday? Um, I don't think so. So uh, looking forward to the Masters, as you said, in November. Like, it's going to be interesting to see how that course plays in November. And uh, be on the lookout for on2tvsports.com for coverage on the Masters, on the NBA offseason, on the MLB offseason. Um, and, and as always, the articles that we've been doing, the not-so-reaction, Tuesday morning blitz, top 25, uh, and Stockwatch, and the 2TV sp- Spotlight. And uh, for now, 2TV Sports is signing off the mic.